Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Dentistry Unmasked. I'm David Rice, and I'm here with my partner in crime, Dr. Pam. What's shaking? Nada. What's going on today? You know what? It's a sunny day in Florida. How's about you? <laughs> it's actually a sunny day in Boston, so it's a good day. <laughs> I love it. Well, I'm totally excited to be here. We have two incredible dentists here. We have Dr. Amrita Patel. We have Dr. Lauren McDonough. So Amrita, take a couple seconds, say hi, introduce yourself, kind of let us know who you are and all the things. So thank you for having me. I am Amrita Patel. I'm a private practice dentist in Westchester County, New York, 30 miles straight north of the city uh, for anyone that's not familiar with the area. And I recently relocated to Sioux Falls, South Dakota for love. Every time anyone asks me, they're like, why? And I have to be like, it's a boy. Uh, and here I actually am faculty at the University of South Dakota uh, at the Dental Hygiene School currently. So it's been, it's been a cool experience. I love that. And I'm gonna say uh, as someone who has also moved for love, best reason ever. So congrats, good on ya. Uh, Dr. Lauren, how about you? Hi, um, thanks for having me as well. I'm Dr. Lauren McDonough. I am the Vice President of Practice Owner Development at Aspen Dental, uh, which our headquarters is in Chicago. So I'm a little jealous of you both right now, David and Pam, because it's raining here. Uh, but I've been in Chicago for two years in this position, and I was formerly a practice owner with Aspen Dental in Florida, which was great. Uh, we had I had six offices along with my husband, Andrew De La Rosa. And before that was in Boston, over by Pam. Oh, no kidding. I love it. Small world. So speaking of that, shout out to Aspen for bringing Dr. Lauren to us today and helping us make this episode possible. Super appreciate it. And Pam, what do you think? Do we just jump right in? Because we got a great topic today. I think we should. So we're going to talk today about is a DSO a young dentist's best first job? You know, I know when I was in dental school and I don't want to overly date myself, but in the ballpark of 20-ish years ago, you know, I think that you go to dental school imagining you're going to graduate and like buy a practice and that's just kind of what was done. But now there's so many more options for us. And so you guys both have different journeys that you have taken. So Lauren, I'm going to start with you. You've got a lot of extensive experience with DSOs, but also in private practice. So what did that journey look like and how did you make those decisions? Yeah. So with Aspen Dental, I started back in 2013, right after graduating dental school, actually. Uh, I worked with my father, who's a private practice dentist uh, who owns a, a small place in New Hampshire. I uh, was working with him for a few months and the practice just really couldn't support two dentists, to be perfectly honest. And I decided, again, for love, moved to uh, Florida and started um, working with Aspen Dental there. So for me, it made a lot of sense to start with a DSO uh, because I was starting in a new place. I didn't have connections or really know a whole lot about the area and wasn't sure that that's where I wanted to settle. And I wanted some freedom to be able to decide if that was the right place for me and still be able to be within a network that could support me in that way. And mentorship was something that was important to me. Having you know worked with my dad for a little bit, I knew that that's something that I desired. And so I started with an office where I had someone who was pretty well on call with me if I needed any help with the procedure. I think that's really helpful to have some semblance of mentorship. I think a lot of new dentists come into their role and they feel a little alone. And also you're the young one. You know, a lot of the team is like, <laughs> oh, you're a baby and you want to prove yourself. And I think in some ways we feel pressure to 
be able to perform in such a way that we might not be ready for. And so I think having a form of mentorship would be great. Now, Amory, your story is a little different because you have like by blood, a mentor right there with you. Right. So tell us a little bit about your journey. So I did a GPR after I graduated dental school and I went into practice with my father. When I started, we had one office and it was challenging because it felt like I was always being watched or I was the junior Dr. Patel. And, you know, so I definitely went through that as well. Um, we ended up acquiring a few more practices. So before I moved, I was only ever at the same office with him a day a week. Um, and so I got to kind of be part of that growing and expanding process, realizing that without having an active involved mentor or someone that was seasoned there, I don't know that I could have been able to do it. And I think I would have probably been pretty scared, honestly. Um, you know, dental school, and we we say this all the time, dental school is really good at teaching, well, depending on where you go, good at teaching <laughs> dentistry, but then that doesn't really leave any time for real world topics. And then you sort of get thrown to the wolves. And so where do you go as a new dentist? Do you crowdsource information on dental social media? I mean, which isn't necessarily always true. Uh, do you pay a lot of money for consultants that don't always necessarily have your back? Or do you just sort of wing it? And pretty quickly, 30 years have gone by of you winging it. And you're like, what did I just do with my life? So that's, that's kind of where I came from. If you summed up the tale of 99% of dentists, that's it. Yeah. You wake up 10, 20, 30 years later and think, where did it go? What just happened? And I love this talk about mentorship because I feel like, um, and push back, but for me, like the first three to five years we graduate from dental school and who we are in the future is totally defined by those first few years. The people we meet, the CE that we take. I don't know, Pam, was that your experience too? I had a different experience and I guess I, I, I kind of wung it, if you will. And I did rely on my friends a lot. I mean, when I did my residency at UCLA, there was kind of when, I guess when we joined UC or when we got accepted from UCLA, it was like, well, you'll do a lot of vertical learning. And so I think we were sort of taught to be mentored by our peers or by the, you know, the people that were maybe a year or two ahead of us. And so I, that was kind of where I feel like I learned a lot. And I, I was mentored to some extent, but you know, all the after hours things, I mean, think about conferences, like where does like the meat of the conversations happen? It's like yeah. over a glass of wine and you're having those really fruitful conversations. And for us in the lab, it was like, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 o'clock at night, you know, having an issue with, you know, some lab work and one of your friends turns around and helps you out. And so I've always kind of did a lot of peer mentoring. And then I would say I had a sort of a mentor fall in my lap. And if you will, when I moved back to Boston, there's a prosthodontist who was, you know, kind of treated me as if I went to, I went to Tufts dental school, but I wasn't part of Tufts pros. And so he was like, you got to take your boards, you got to do this. And I feel like it was nice to have somebody who pushed me and challenged me because I didn't have that early in my career. And I even would say now I sort of sign up for this, you know, these CE courses and these hands-on courses with my dental heroes so that I can be mentored by people that I'm just so in awe by or in awe with or whatever it is. So yeah, I think that um, I, but I guess as part of that, I like being a mentor for those around me because I really didn't feel like I had that when I probably could have used it. So yeah, I think it would be interesting to hear Lauren from your perspective, new dentists, there's this pressure though, 
or there's this perceived pressure that DSOs want you to perform faster, quicker procedures that maybe a new dentist might be a little overwhelmed by. Like, what was your transition into a DSO? Did you feel like the mentorship was there and you had all the time to, you know, really hone your, your craft? Or did you feel like, you know what, we're just going to throw in as many restorations as I, as I can in a day and all of a sudden I'll get comfortable? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought this up because it is, you know, a common misconception. I can't speak for all DSOs. I really can't. I've been with Aspen Dental for 10 years now. I can speak to what we do at Aspen Dental in my experience here. So initially I did have a mentor in office with me and that was going great. About six weeks later, I was needed to help in another office and it actually really helped me flourish in that I had a little bit more breathing room to what Amrita was saying earlier to kind of explore what I wanted to do and, and the procedures that I wanted and my own treatment plans more and more. Uh, so that gave me a little more freedom there, but then I also was able to really quickly realize my shortcomings and be honest with myself that I had a lot of opportunities that dental school just didn't give me. And a lot of those opportunities were in just general communication with patients and teams. Um, obviously, speed of procedures, that's always something that takes a lot of dentists, you know, months and years to develop their speed. In a DSO model, or at least in Aspen Dental, there are no you know, set amount of procedures that someone needs to do. And there's also no set time that they have to complete it in. So with my, when I owned my practices with Aspen Dental in Florida, for my new grads that we brought in, initially I gave them two hours, no matter what the procedure was. So if it was a two surface filling, they got two hours for it. If it was a crown prep, they got two hours for it. And what we did there was we slowly, you know, tracked how they were performing and if they wanted to improve their times and, and lower them, that was up to them based on what they felt comfortable with. Now, with that additional time, because, you know, it really probably doesn't take two hours to complete a two surface filling coming out of dental school, but the additional time they were able to watch me or come into other procedures with me or go into new patient exams and watch how I treatment plan. So it was very interactive for the first few months. And really, it was driven by the new grad themselves and not the owner of the office or the mentor in the office. Sounds like a great model. Now, David, yeah. I got to ask you, I mean, you do a lot of mentoring with young dentists. And so what is your best advice for getting that experience? Do you think shadowing a dentist is a great way? Like, how do you how do you go about this? I, you know, I think there's a number of ways and 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 a combination of them seems to help people the most. Lauren, you brought up a really good point that I'm going to piggyback on. And that was um, the young dentist's ability to sort of self-assess. And, you know, so they have this two-hour time frame and then they can shrink it and add to it and all those things. And I think that's a critical piece for all of us, you know, 30 years in my ability to self-assess and, and to still know what I don't know so I can keep learning is important. But I think it's important for young dentists, that's really difficult to do, to know what you don't know. So I love, Lauren, that you brought that up and and, and you have a window of time for that. I think time is, is definitely um, a big, big factor for mentorship, whether it's during the day and having a buddy to do that with, or it's it's with continuing education. I think that's really, really important. And And Pam, you brought up one too when you were at UCLA, your days of we learn a lot from each other. And if you think, God, if I think about my dental school experience, like you just like totally flipped the switch, like who can go back to like D2 
and it's, you know, midnight on a Friday and like the normal people are out doing things and we're in a, some sort of preclinical sim lab, depending on when we graduated. And we did, and we learned a ton from each other. So I think learning from our peers is important. Learning from more seasoned pros is important. I'm going to add to that. Learning from top two percenters is really important because I think the nuances of these people that we all aspire to be when we grow up, like it's those little things that make the biggest differences. And, and I'm a huge, huge fan of hands-on, 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 hands-on learning and mentorship. It's, it's tough to sit in a seminar and glean things and bring them back and feel that you can do it and maybe also have the confidence. But when you have this hands-on component with people over your shoulder who are true um, experts in any particular area. That to me is incredible mentorship. So Lauren, it sounds like you're able to have that for yourself and provide that. I'm I'm curious, Amrita, like in your experience, because, you know, we talk about private practice and mentorship, but does it really happen? You know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good question. You know, it has to be very intentional, like everything else. Yeah. Quite honestly, I don't know that if I gave every one of my new associates two hours um, to do any procedure, if that would make sense in our model. You know, having sure. them finish their procedure in an hour and then come assist me or uh, help me with treatment planning, they have to obviously make a living. I have to keep things running, right? And so having that luxury and also building time in to discuss cases or to review procedures uh, sometimes gets really challenging. So it has to be intentional. And I think you know, if you're scheduling in such a way that you can do it, whether it's giving longer time than someone needs or making blocks in the schedule for reviews, I think if you think that you're just going to sort of go into an office and they offer mentorship without any sort of defined plan, then you're probably not going to get what you are looking for. Um, you know, I said it earlier, but I think it's relevant to say it again. There's a lot that dental school doesn't teach. There's a lot that hygiene school doesn't teach. And I'm seeing that now because I'm hygiene faculty. And so when you go out into the world, you have a clinical skill set, but do you really have that real world skill set yet? Um, and again, unless it's intentional, unless it's built into the sort of fabric of the place that you practice, no matter where it is, it's not going to happen. And I say that as someone that tried to do it like the winging it way. You know, Pam and David, you guys both speak nationally you don't wing it. You have some sort of idea of what you're going to say, right? And even if you've given a presentation a million times, you have a framework there and you're really good at what you do. So that has to be kind of the way that you offer mentorship opportunities, especially in private practice, where sometimes every minute matters. You also mentioned something earlier that you did a GPR. Mm -hmm. What would you say in this? And what's really cool about actually all three of you mentoring young dentists What's your take on the trajectory of how a young dentist feels comfortable once they get into real life procedures coming right out of dental school versus a one year AGD or GPR type residency? Yeah. So a couple of things. First of all, there's some states around the country that you have to do at least some postgraduate training to get licensed in. New York is one of them. The next thing I'll say is obviously the landscape of dental education is different in 2023 than it was in 2011, in that a lot of requirements have changed because of COVID. Um, you know, the DLOSCI is a thing now where it's a it's not a patient-based exam, it's a mannequin-based exam. And so you are getting people coming out of school through no fault of their own that didn't meet the requirements to graduate 
but they were able to graduate because they were sharing procedures on patients. So you prep and I'll deliver and you do the bite and I'll do the teeth, try, you know, however it is that the, they kind of make it work in their program. So it's the practice of dentistry, right? We practice on each other, giving each other shots. We practice on plastic teeth. We practice at CE. So the more practice that you can get for me, the better off you are. Um, every residency program is not created equally. For me, when I went looking, I wanted a place that didn't have every single specialty attached to it. Because like in dental school, if a patient comes in and needs something that some faculty deems complex, they're going right to PG Pros or PG Endo or wherever. Whereas if you go to a place, to a hospital that has maybe not every residency program under the sun, but they do have those specialty faculty rotating with you, you might get exposed to a wider variety of procedures and then build your skill set more. So that's what I selected for. How about you, Lauren? What do you think? You know, I, I did not do a GPR. I went right into practice, as I said. But um, having trained many doctors coming out of GPR and coming out of dental school, I've seen that those coming out of GPR do not seem that much more ready for real world, to be honest, than the ones coming out of dental school. They have one year under their belt. But typically what I'm seeing is in the first week of working with me, they're getting more bridge preps or crown preps, fillings. Uh, exposure to dentures and you know removable process in general than they've than they've gotten over the course of one year in their GPR. And that's not to say anything negative about a GPR. I think GPRs are wonderful and I think they're an excellent uh, you know place to start your career. However, you know if you're really wanting to get your hands in there and, and practice, oftentimes that you're not going to get quite as much as you would in the first year if you were in maybe a DSO model like that. Uh, you know, I really wanted to touch back on one thing that you guys were talking about earlier that I totally agree with, which is the idea of learning from your peers. And so we know how important that is. And so we've created this cohort learning system. So new doctors to, to Aspen program, not even just new grads, but doctors in general are all grouped together in cohort learning. And you'll find dentists who've been practicing for 30 years mixed in with these dentists who are just graduating dental school. And what's been fascinating is to see their interactions and their, their differences in treatment planning or their differences in speaking with each other and going through some of these programs, having CEs that are designed for them and what they're experiencing is so impactful because you can really get everyone together, hear all these different viewpoints and come together on a similar system and hearing from these experts that are teaching in the field. So I do think that continued education is so important, no matter if you're getting it, you know, privately, or if you're getting it through a system with a DSO where you're getting specific learnings that match what you're actually seeing in practice. I think that when I graduated from residency and it was time to find a job, I sort of picked a job. Like I basically, like if you'd hire me, I'd come. Like it was sort of like, I wanted to find a practice to work in. I was going to teach at, at the university. So it was sort of like, I only had certain days. So for me, my value system was I'll, I'll just, if you can make these days work, like I can make the rest of it work. And I don't think that was probably the best approach when you're looking for a job. And it's interesting because you both have a different perspective. I would say maybe a young dentist who wants to grow there. I mean, I think we all for, it doesn't even matter. I've been out for almost 20 years now and I still take CE and I'm excited about it because I love learning and I think it'll never stop. But I think if you go in and say, okay, I need to have a, you know, a very intentional CE approach that maybe a DSO is 
the way to go where Amory, I would say in private practice, what I've always done is I've sort of found where I'm feeling challenged or maybe something I wanted to bring into the practice. And then that's kind of where I geared my CE choices. So it, it's interesting because it sounds like there's two very different ways that are both legitimate as to how you'd like to structure your career. Yeah. I think it's also important to remember dentists and I think dentistry tend to be really myopic. We're really good at missing the forest for the trees. And so think about where you want your life to be. And obviously sometimes you get curve walls. Like if you had told me that I was going to be living in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, I would have told you you were bananas. This New Yorker was never leaving New York. So obviously you can't predict and plan for everything, but there's people that want to be associates forever. And that's great. That's great. They have um, a life situation where that's what works best for them. And that's great. Um, there's people that want to be private practice owners, like right out of dental school or very shortly thereafter. That's great. They can, there's resources available to them and there's CE and support no matter kind of where you go to be able to do that. But I think it's important to consider um, where you see your life going. And also if you might be geographically anchored somewhere because you have a spouse's family that's in a state that requires a residency, or maybe you're in a state that does. Um, I didn't have a choice because in New York, I had to do one regardless. So things to just kind of consider. Yeah, that's, you said something that I want to hit on too. You know, when you're, you're getting out of school and you're, you're learning these, these new things and we want to go after the shiny objects, like new, new procedures or things that are exciting that you want to bring into the office. And sometimes we're missing the things that we truly need. Maybe we're not even self-identifying what we truly need to actually make our practice, our existing practice and the people that work with us better. And so it's nice when you do have a system that tells you, you know, you might want this, but you need this and working through it and, uh, you know, having different trajectories. So if you do want to stay in a single practice anchored in one location, you have learnings that can help you grow that single practice. Or if you want to be a multi-practice owner, like I was in Florida, having the, the you know, continuing education that's not even necessarily specific to dentistry, but to be a better leader to grow teams of people and systems of hygienists beneath you to have those types of learnings available as well. I love that. So we've played very well in the sandbox together on this. I love it. I want to get a little more real. Why wouldn't a young dentist want to go to one model or the other? Like what's the downside? Um, I think it's a scary world out there. And I wouldn't have been as confident as I am if I didn't have my dad, full stop. And listen, DSO dentists, private practice dentists, dentists in academia, we're all still dentists, right? So it's important to be inclusive and treat each other with respect in that way. I cannot, as a private practice owner, hire every new grad coming out into the workforce and people need to work. And if the best opportunity that someone gets that's going to give them peace and bring them joy wherever they are is working in academia, great. If it's working for a DSO, wonderful. You know, I I have an issue with, well, they're a public health dentist and oh, they're a military dentist and they're a DSO dentist. We all got the same degree. And what behavior are we modeling to the generation behind us? I know you were expecting a showdown, but for me, I don't find that very positive. And I'm not gonna come at people, especially impressionable younger graduates from a place 
of anything other than positivity. Listen, there's challenges no matter where you go. Dealing with academia and institutions is a headache trying to get anything done. I'm sure that sometimes, Lauren, you have issues when you want to like push a new idea up the ladder because it's got to go through all sorts of approvals. I have to deal with my dad, right? I mean, it, there's challenges no matter where you go. So yeah. I think you have to make the best decision for yourself and shut off the background noise, especially dental social media forums. <laughs> Yes. That's actually the exact answer I was hoping I would get, but didn't expect. Um, That's a refreshing you, viewpoint. I mean, really, yeah. I, I'm tickled right now because coming out of dental school, we, my husband and I going into a DSO, we literally lied to people that we were going into a DSO because of the stigma. And it's not, it's not a fair stigma to be perfectly honest. And so I think relationships are the most important thing to having success with a mentor. And so if that relationship's with your dad, perfect. If it's with somebody that you've met and that's in a GSO that's going to be chair side with you or at least in the office and visiting you, excellent. Like those relationships are really important to growing a successful career. It's important to have, you know, flexibility and an open mind to what you want in your career. So many of the dentists I hired would say, you know, my goal is to own my own private practice. Fantastic. Let me give you as many of the tools that I have to help you get there in your career. And I am in it with you to be able to do that. Awesome. I know you were hoping for an argument. Sorry. <laughs> no, we're never. No, we're I actually wasn't all. hoping for an argument. Um, <laughs> no. if, we, it, want, really, we want your opinion and, you know, and yeah. your experience. So if it's consistent with each other, that's awesome. Nobody's looking for a, an arm yeah, wrestle. No, no, no. <laughs> well, what about this? So all three of you, I feel like the only one that I don't know, I had, I, I didn't move for love. Okay. But you guys did. <laughs> and I would think as a dentist, it's hard to do that. And so Amory, you kind of had to reinvent what you were doing, but I'm wondering, Lauren, if you are part of a DSO and I know if, like privately owned DSOs are different, but something like an Aspen, if you decide to move for love and you need to move into another location, is there some semblance of consistency to how you're practicing in New York city? If you're moving to South Dakota? <laughs> We have over a thousand locations, so you're going to find differences based on, you know, what school somebody went to or, or what have you, like their experiences in life. So not every thousand locations is going to be exactly the same because we are owned by individual dentists or dentists who own multiple practices. So yes, the, the idea is that if you're with a DSO that has multiple locations, you have the opportunity to be able to switch within that system. All you have to do is raise your hand and say that that's what you're going to do. And so we see people time and time again, moving from North Carolina to Florida or what have you. And they're able to make a relationship with the doctor, the owner in the new location. And then essentially you have to get hired on just like you were hired in the first place. It's not as easy as just like, I want to move. That's your spot. You know, it's all, it's the same. You're getting a job. Interesting. I think yeah. in today's world, we've we've had the ability to have a little bit more flexibility and mobility now that you know exams are getting more centralized. Even uh, even Florida is about to break and um, allow us to do you know dentistry if we've come from another area. That should happen soon. But Emery, like for you, like that's a big move. And like Pam said, shifting gears. Did you feel it was more difficult, you know, kind of being of your own person versus having a, a, you know, a collection of people? I mean, you're a well-connected person, but is it harder? Is it easier? Does it not matter in today's world? 
Um, I think it comes with its own challenges. You know, the biggest challenge for me here has actually been outside of dentistry is kind of assimilating into the culture. Um, and I know I was talking to Pam about this last weekend when we were in New York. I think when you're from one of the seaboards, if you meet someone that's different from you, whether it's professionally or personally, you approach them with intrigue and curiosity. You want to know more about them or their experiences. And that comes off different than if you are approaching someone that's different from you with being reserved and being guarded. And so I think my biggest challenge has been the culture and whether that is personally or professionally, uh, things to consider. You know, and if you don't have a support system, I do out here, if you're moving and you're getting thrown into an environment where you're the new one and you're the different one, um, kind of like Lauren said, having a network and having connections and a relationship with your mentor or with people at work can often be um, kind of your saving grace. Because I can imagine that if I was here without any of that, it would be really isolating and really hard. Um, as far as the kind of like portability of licensure goes, there is legislation being worked on to have more states sign on for not just dentists, but dental hygienists as well, um, to be easier with reciprocity. For me, in South Dakota, you have to do credits or REB. You don't have to do a residency in New York. We did NERB or GPR, I did both. So I actually had to speak to the board to see if they would accept that for me in lieu of credits or REB and they did, but I didn't apply for my license until I knew that it was gonna be okay. So challenges that you face, um, and it is something that the ADA is working on licensure portability, especially now post COVID where you're getting people whose trainings got messed up. Um, little known fact, the company that makes the plastic teeth that you needed for part of your licensing exam was not considered essential and was shut down during the pandemic. So there was people that were not doing residency programs and had job offers in other states, but they couldn't do their licensure exam because the company was not considered essential. And then the truckers that they use, I mean, it was this whole supply chain kind of disintegration that we know about. But, you know, that's one of the reasons that the DLOSCI now being sort of fully non-patient based came about. Um, and they were able to obviously get that factory reopened and restarted, but it was a big challenge for people. So I think a lot of this um, licensure portability had been brewing, but it came from there. So hopefully it makes things easier for people that do move for love or for other reasons. Most definitely. So we're short on time. I can't believe how fast this time flies. Don't you think, Dave? Yeah. Crazy. It's crazy. So I would say as we wrap up, would both of you or three, all three of you, because you guys really mentor a ton of dentists, what advice would you give a new dentist? Like what's like your key thing that maybe they should consider, you know, as they're looking for their best first job? Um, I would say look for transparency. So that's really important because you don't want a place where you're going to feel uncomfortable. And whether that's in a DSO, whether it's with private practice, whether it's with your childhood dentist, make sure you have a contract. Make sure that contract is vetted by a professional. Your best friend or your new friends on social media are not professionals. I'm not a professional in this sense, Lauren isn't, David's not, Pam's not. We are probably happy to look at things and tell you what we think, but at the end of the day, handshake deals, contracts that haven't been vetted, these are all big no-nos. So you wanna look for transparency and you also wanna make sure that you rely on the proper professionals before you sign anything. And it always makes me sad when I hear a story of someone that kind of got stuck in a situation that was avoidable that I know has been attending our lectures forever. And it's like, 
we told you this, but I would say transparency and make sure you have a professional vet your contract. I would say go to the office and actually visit, spend time with the staff, time with the mentor doctor that you'd be working with, talk to others who are potentially working there, or have worked there and have a, a real good idea of what their experience has been. And also shut out the noise. Like if, if somebody's telling you don't try that, or don't, they probably haven't done it themselves. And so, you know, it's, you got to try things for yourself and, and really take a, a real look at what, what the experience could be like and what the opportunity would be. And if it's working toward your goal in the long run, then be open to it. Also, you know, you're talking a lot about contracts, Amory, and, you know, one of the nice things with a lot of DSOs is they don't have a contract. It's an offer letter and you can exit at any given time. We're giving you an opportunity to, to grow and develop your career goals, uh, skills, and there's no obligation to stay. We want people to like it and stay if they like it and leave if that's not the right fit. I love it. I would add, um, I think what all of us have said at some point different today is you know, know yourself. Know yourself and, and who you are and what your goals are. Stay true to you. At the end of the day, you're the only person you need to answer to. And maybe that loved one that you move to another area is also helpful. And then also don't be afraid to make a mistake and evolve. The beautiful part about dentistry is we have so many pathways to happiness and success that if you choose a direction and it turns out to not be the best direction for you, it's okay to make a change. No one's going to judge you. And if they do, shame on them, not you. That's a reflection on them, not you. So Pam, take us home. All right. Well, as we wrap up, you guys, how can people find you, follow you, reach you? Because I know they're going to ask you some questions. I am fairly incognito, but uh, my email <laughs> is drlmcdonough, M-C-D-O-N-O-U-G-H, at aspendental.com. You can find me potentially on Instagram uh, as dr underscore Lauren McDonough. How about you, Emery? Um, yeah, Instagram DMs are probably the easiest way. Um, Amrita Patel or at the Dr. Amri. So T-H-E-D-R-A-M-R-I. Um, I'm on LinkedIn and Facebook too, but any questions are probably the easiest way to get to me is there. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for your advice and your insights and you know, it's being real and telling us your stories, because I know sometimes that's vulnerable and hard. And I know sometimes dentists don't feel comfortable sharing that. So thank you and kudos to both of you. I wish you all the best. And I look forward to seeing you guys in person again. So ciao. Bye, everyone. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you, everyone, for watching or listening to the show this week. And thanks to our guests and sponsors on this episode. Please check out our social media at Dr. Pamela underscore Maragliano and at Dental Economics Official. Or you can check me out at Ignite DDS or at Dr. David Rice. And go to dentaleconomics.com to receive dental economics. You can choose to receive DE in print or digitally, and you can also get the details of our Principles of Practice Management Conference on our website. If you have topics or guests or anything you'd like to talk about on the show, send us an email to dentistryunmaskedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will do our very best to make it happen. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week.